Hello, this is Rick Millenthal, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. In this series, we highlight the personal journeys of thought leaders through adversity and trauma to find resilience and hope. Today, we have an amazing guest, business coach, marketer, and herself, a prolific podcaster, Harper Spiro. Harper is the creator and host of Made Visible, which shines a light on illnesses, illnesses that can sometimes be debilitating, but perhaps not apparent to others. Recently, she wrapped up the series after 100 episodes. Wow. Harper, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Harper, my wife, and co-producer Karen's joining us today as co-host. I coaxed her to uh, join us today. Hi, Harper. So happy to talk to you. You too. Harper, 100 episodes. What period of time did you do that? July 2018 to October 2020. So just about once a week, I guess. That would be about right. Yeah. It was almost every Tuesday uh, aside from some months where I said, I need a break. This is a lot of work and a lot of time. And as I'm sure you can imagine, managing the number of guests and recording. So yeah, aimed for once a week. What I find amazing about Harper is knowing your story that you spent so long not telling people what your hidden issues were. And then when you decided to share, boy, you weren't kidding. You really went all out. Well, let's start with what Karen was talking about. What inspired you to do this? So I'm going to take it back a bit, which is when I was 27 years old, I was running the digital department at a beauty PR firm and super high stress, very toxic job. Uh, Didn't realize that in real time. But while I was there, I would walk two blocks in Manhattan where I live and grew up. I'd walk two blocks and feel like I was going to collapse while I was walking, totally out of breath and winded. And the same thing would happen when I would go to my apartment building where I was on the third floor, and it was terrifying. Like, why am I not able to walk and breathe normally? And so after seeing a doctor who gave me a bunch of inhalers and drugs and said, oh, I think this is bronchitis or pneumonia, my mom, the best— said, I think it's time for you to see a specialist. Nothing's changing. It's been three months. Something's not right here. And so I saw a pulmonologist at NYU and she did a bunch of tests and she called me the next morning and said, are you sitting down? Mm. No one wants to hear those words. She also followed up by saying, are your parents with you? Oh boy. So What she told me was that I had a cyst the size of a golf ball in my right lung. And she had no idea how long it had been there because she found it through this CAT scan that I had the previous day, but I hadn't had a CAT scan since I was 10 years old. The backstory to that is that when I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with a super rare immune deficiency called Job syndrome or hyper IgE syndrome. There's less than 300 of us diagnosed in the world. Mm. And from the age of 10 to 27, I dealt with symptoms, not the overarching issue of living with an illness. I was so ashamed and embarrassed to have this condition and be different from my friends that it felt really like, I'm just going to pretend this didn't happen, put band-aids on things as they came up, and just sort of move on, move on, deal with it. Um, None of my friends knew about it. 
None of my family members outside of the immediate knew about it, and I never talked about it with them. And so I decided to call this doctor at 27 after the pulmonologist said, you need to have surgery to remove this. This immunologist that had diagnosed me 17 years prior said, no, 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 no. You can't have this surgery. You won't make it out alive. So that was a, you know, huge moment of figuring out, well, one team says to do this. The other says, don't do it. It's my life on, a lo- on the line here. Uh, and so I ended up going down to the National Institute of Health. There's a team there that were researching the condition that I have. I ended up having surgery on March 5th, 2012 to remove a quarter of my right lung. And luckily things went well, but my lungs have been an issue ever since then. I will remain on medications for the rest of my life. Uh, And what was removed from my lung was something called aspergillus, which is a form of mold. And I realized that it was impossible to hide what I had been through and hide from the fact that I was getting surgery or gonna be on medical leave for several months from my best friends. And it felt Mm -hmm. like, okay, I gotta come out. I gotta start talking about this. And as I said earlier, I don't really do things small. And I was writing and getting interviewed for articles and just sort of putting myself out there about my story to raise awareness, less about my own story, but about what people were living with with invisible illness. And in the beginning of 2018, I was helping a friend of mine with a podcast in Tel Aviv about motherhood, and I loved helping her through this process, and I'm someone who loves listening to podcasts. And I said, this feels like an opportunity. I want to ask you something about what you just said, you know, both the original condition and then the lung condition. And to give you some context, I've had lung issues since I was 17 years old. And then a different lung condition. We just lost a brother. My two siblings have it. This pandemic, which of course is dealing with, you know, whether we can breathe, was it acute for you? I mean, I I have to imagine it was a, a frightening experience over the last year to live during a pandemic that's all about how we breathe. Very much so. It's been a really scary year, and it's interesting to be in this category or this club of high risk, a club that I never wanted to be in, not something I'm necessarily proud to be in, but how important it is for me to stay safe, not that everyone else shouldn't, but to be in this club where, like, I would not make it out well if I was to get covid Harper, could I ask you something about the mold in your lungs? Is that connected to the Job syndrome? It is. And that was what was so important about going down to the NIH because they had had many a patients who had this surgery or had this, this issue without having the surgery, but it was totally normal. And I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to not have dealt with it until I was 27. Karen notices that I sometimes get a little more uh, dramatic about social distancing. And uh, and it just always sticks with me, you know, ever since 17 years old because of a lung condition. So, you know, you're talking about a disease that's not always visible, but I think that anxiety probably isn't always visible either that you might have. I think that this pandemic has been a time that's 
raise the awareness and open the eyes of many people who don't live with invisible illnesses to get a glimpse into the life of people who live with invisible illnesses, whether it's physical or mental, just the fact that this virus has taken over our lives in so many ways. So I'm grateful to a certain degree that it's helping to raise that awareness and make more people a bit more compassionate. I cannot tell you how much I love that you just said that because that's what I really hope we were going to discuss today. And I think that's what has been amazing about this past year is that everybody's understanding what it's like to have this kind of invisible fear going through this pandemic where everybody is just so fearful and the anxiety that people are feeling is that invisible kind of, um, I don't want to say illness, but it's something that nobody else really knows because it's so inside of you. Yeah, the analogy that I use often that I think is so important to think about pre-pandemic, you know, during pandemic is when I, prior to having my surgery, I would get on an elevator and if someone got on the elevator on the second floor, I let out an audible, ugh. <laughs> so disappointed. Why is this person getting on the second floor? You're wasting my time. I have somewhere to be. Why didn't you take the stairs? <laughs> and it wasn't until my condition and me unable to walk the stairs that I realized that we have no idea what people are going through. Because mm-hmm. they don't have a cane or a walker or a cast on their leg, you don't, you don't see what's going on with them. So you assume that everything's perfectly fine. And that may not be the case. I go the other direction. You know, your list of uh, 100 episodes, you had so many diverse guests. Now, and not everybody's invisible illness was physical. You know, you had people with dyslexia, people with anxiety, people with bipolar disorder. And, you know, when you look at someone, you don't understand that that's um, the struggle that they're dealing with. That was really important to me because I think there's a lot of content out there on certain conditions. And I think that what was important was to have a well-rounded list of conditions. But I think it's really important to spotlight the mental illness side. And what's interesting, as someone who doesn't have a mental illness, I related to so many things that were said by my guests who talked about their invisible illnesses that were mental and not physical. And that relatability that people can experience no matter what their condition is. I think what's really important is thinking about navigating an invisible illness, something that a doctor can't see, a nurse can't see, family members can't see, physical or mental. You have to find a way to advocate for yourself and talk to other people about what you're going through. And I think that is the case with physical or mental illnesses. So finding those words and the right language to be able to support themselves when they weren't able to advocate for themselves in the way that they needed and needed someone else to do that for them. Of course, you waited 17 years to actually verbalize it when you were looking for help. Interestingly, it's really 27 because I, while I wasn't diagnosed until I was 10, I had symptoms since birth. So yeah, I mean, you know, to talk about a guest that I talked to on the podcast, one of the most fascinating ones I had that I left with tears in my eyes was a woman named Sarah Harris who went to a skin camp when she was a little kid and everyone at the camp had some sort of skin condition. 
And I was someone who prior to being 27 and this lung-related stuff, all of the things I was dealing with were skin-related. And I felt so uncomfortable in my skin and what my skin looked like, and it didn't look like anyone else's. So when she talked about going to a camp where everyone had some sort of skin condition, but the focus wasn't on their skin, it was just about seeing other kids that looked like them, I was blown away. And interestingly, not not upset that I didn't go to it because I know myself as a preteen and I wouldn't have been open to something like that. Two of my favorite of your guests, you had your mom on early and you had your dad on as your last guest on your podcast. What I found just amazing is how much autonomy they gave you at such an early age. Because when you were talking about the skin camp, I was thinking, okay, the Harper that I heard about in those podcasts would never have gone to that camp. I will forever give my parents the credit that they deserve for how they navigated that time, especially as a preteen when I just wanted to live a quote unquote normal life. Mm -hmm. And while my mom did crazy amounts of research on doctors, practitioners, healers, medications, diets, I mean, really everything to try to help me, I wasn't open to a lot of it. So I give them so much credit for allowing me to pave the way. Uh, obviously, I'm happy with you know where that, where that landed me now. <laughs> and I can't even imagine if I was public about it Uh, early on or willing to go to the NIH as a kid, I'd have a completely different life than I do now. And I can't say that my health would necessarily be any better if I had done those things then. Who knows? I think a big thing that was acknowledged in the podcast with them is that my mom was my support system and my Mm -hmm. dad was my, my mom's support system. Who was your dad's support system? All his friends. <laughs> okay. he, he has he has endless friends and family, but I'm not sure that he talked to anyone about it. Um, that's a really good question. I got to ask him that. I think I think he's good at managing things on his his own. To be honest with you, you know what I would say to that? I happen to think you were your dad's support system. I think it was a circle. I think the three of you were an amazing team. Thank you, Karen. I I appreciate that. And I think you're not so far off on that. I do think we've worked really well as a system, the three of us, uh, in supporting each other. When we talk about resilience, you know, we we often talk about um, a a personal resilience, but I think there's a familial resilience too. You know, I was thinking about it with 100 episodes and 100 guests, but Harper, it's really 100 stories of resilience, isn't it? It definitely is. No question. That is definitely what these guests have. I think that there's a lot of people that were on the show who you wouldn't know what they're going through because of the invisible illness, as I said, but also built businesses or chose careers because of their health. And I personally find that super inspiring to be able to hear people, you know, choose to start a business or choose a certain job because it'll either accommodate their health and their, you know, requirements in prioritizing their health or wanting to help other people going through and living with invisible illnesses. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you got to give us an example of what you mean. So there's an amazing woman named Hannah Olson who had Lyme disease, early 20s, and she decided to create a business called Chronically Capable, which provides support to people who are looking to find jobs that need to be remote or flexible. And so she approaches different companies looking for opportunities that she can present sort of like a recruiter slash job site uh, to make it accessible for people to have work, but be able to accommodate them. Wow. I think I've read this, that you're focusing on solopreneurs. A solopreneur is someone who works for themselves and doesn't have a team. And that's what you're doing now? Is that part of your, your writing workshops? Yeah, so I have a few different things that I'm working on. So for the last six years, I've been doing coaching uh, and right now focused on service-based solopreneurs. So people who aren't necessarily selling products, but more so services. And so they come to me looking for guidance in launching and building their businesses. And then when I stopped the podcast, I knew I didn't want to stop doing things in the invisible illness space. So I decided to launch a series of writing classes. Um, And I just two weeks ago launched a Substack. And if you're not familiar with Substack, it's a newsletter for writers. And the purpose of that is to provide people with prompts about invisible illness. I'm interested in this idea of the invisible illness. And so the illness might be invisible because it's not apparent to people. But I think what you're saying is also people want to keep it invisible. There's a motivation to keep it invisible until they talk about it. I think there's some shame for sure that's affiliated with living with an invisible illness. Um, I'd say that a lot of people came on the podcast were willing to share their story either for the first time or share an aspect of their story that they'd never shared before because they realized the importance of putting it out there and making other people feel less isolated. Uh, That was one of my biggest goals in launching the podcast was to help people feel less alone, especially knowing that I had felt so alone for so long going through what I went through. I also think that when we talk about invisible illnesses, physical, mental, emotional, whatever they are, you know, there's that old saying that your secrets make you sick. Did you feel a sense of relief once you were not keeping it? It it wasn't taking so much work to keep it a secret, that it just seemed easier just to be who you are and let everybody accept all of you, physical issues and all? Absolutely. I'm sitting here nodding my head like crazy. (laughs) No question. It was such an emotional burden that I pretended didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I avoided the fact that it was an emotional burden. And I feel like, honestly, at this point in my life, I'm reflecting on that. In doing my own writing about my story, I'm realizing sort of the trauma that I put myself through by choosing to stay silent. And so no question, by coming out, sharing my story, help other people share their stories, I'm working through my own stuff and realizing how much more freeing it is to be able to just be me. And if people aren't interested in that, like I don't need them in my life. So that is why when you talk about feeling alone or being alone, you just talked about how engaged your parents were. So why did you feel alone? None of my friends had illnesses. And so 
to me, I felt different. And I felt like if I shared anything about what I was going through, especially because it was all skin and icky and gross related things, that I would be judged and criticized. I never even thought to tell people. That's the thing that I feel like I have to, you know, touch on constantly, which is, I don't want to say I was intentionally hiding. I just was so clear that I didn't want anyone to know this. Of course, that is the story of almost every 12-year-old girl on the planet, right? True. So you're so what you're saying is none of my friends had this, but you don't know. They didn't know you had anything. So, so who knows? true. I just think that's part of what we're trying to do with this podcast. And I know you tried to do with your podcast to say to people, everybody has something. Everybody has something. Was doing this series cathartic or healing for you? Oh my God, incredibly. It, I, I think hearing certain people say things out loud that I felt was a reminder of like, I'm not in this alone and neither are they. And I could only imagine how my listeners felt. Tell us about that writing workshop you're doing. It's also in the same theme, right? Yeah, I've done two so far and I've actually featured teachers who were past guests on the podcast that were also authors of books related to invisible illness. So, you know, each week they have the opportunity to share their story and the process of getting published and writing their book and the emotional side of writing a book about your health story, the importance of storytelling and capturing a reader's, you know, emotions and response is so important. So it's been amazing. Oh my God, maybe more rewarding than the podcast, which just feels crazy since it's super new. But I love helping people write and craft their story. It's also beautiful because in a way, you're you're shaping the narrative of your life. You're not letting other people shape it. That is absolutely correct. And that's something that I think about a lot in my own writing and have for years of writing a story to sort of make it where I don't have to keep retelling my history verbally mm-hmm. to people. You know, you are really a, an example of... Um, Resilience. Do you think you were born that way? I was thinking about the word resilient before we started recording. And I'm thinking like, where did this come from? How did I become a resilient person? And honestly, I truly believe it's just always been part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. We talk about your resilience. Are there times you're scared? Is there times when it's like, this is too much? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm really grateful for is in choosing to run a business, I have the ability to decide how much I take on and when I need to take a day off or when I need to prioritize myself. And in building out Made Visible as a larger brand, not just a podcast, not just a single class, I've been thinking recently about what that looks like and how much I can take on and where and if I need to bring on a team. Because I want to do all of this, but I also know that I need to prioritize my health. You know, that's um, it's really interesting how you tell that story. And you're a business coach. And, uh, you know, I, I'm probably the opposite of a solo 
Solopreneur? How do you say it? Solopreneur. Solopreneur. Yes. I lead a marketing agency. One of the things you have to remind yourself, and you don't always do when you're a CEO, is what you and Karen talk about. Everybody's going through something. And when you see an issue or a challenge with an employee, and your first instinct might be to critique or certainly lecture or, or to be impatient about it, So many times, so many times they're going through something you don't know about, something as you call it, invisible, isn't it? Yeah, it's so true. And honestly, you know, what's interesting is that majority of my clients have some sort of connection to the health and wellness world, whether they have an invisible illness or they just have a health, a business in the health and wellness space, they're in this world to some capacity. And when I look at my competitors as business coaches, A lot of them are talking with language about hustling and more, more, more and growth. And while those are obviously important things, I think my clients would all agree that I am like the anti-hustle mentality because I think it's so important to do what you're doing, provide the service that you're offering, make money, love what you're doing, but not kill yourself over it. And, you know, I've run these two coaching groups right now And one of them started like weeks before COVID and it really became more of a business support group where it was less of like, how many new Instagram followers did you get? Or how many new subscribers did you get to your mailing list? It was like, how are you navigating the challenges of running a business right now? And I'm certainly an A, type A personality go-getter. I'm definitely a high achiever. But at the same time, I think there's got to be some balance between being a business owner and making things happen and also being compassionate and creating some balance for yourself. And I think that is the flip side of somebody who has suffered from an invisible illness for so many years that you've figured out what's important in life and how to balance. No question. And I think it's finding what works for you and realizing mm-hmm. like how, what that balance looks like. I think it goes back to that concept of the more you you are and the more you just sort of own who you are and your abilities, the more people will flock to you. That's it. The more you know who you are, whatever that is, the more, well, the people that want to flock to you will flock to you. And so that's what I love, even though your series is focused on an invisible illness Your series is focused on what's invisible and making it visible, which, of course, is the name of the series. And uh, that right there is such great advice for folks. And so I think even folks, people without illnesses are taking great inspiration from this series. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's definitely a goal of mine is to help raise awareness of people who don't have invisible illnesses to better understand people who are living with them. Because I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, I don't need to know this because it doesn't affect me. And you have no idea what could suddenly hit you or a loved one. Also, you don't really know when there's going to be a worldwide pandemic and everybody's lives are going to change in an instant. I just hope that the next time I see you guys is at a concert or a music festival because that's my real natural habitat. Amen. We are scheduled to do Wonderbus in Columbus on August 22nd, Harper. <laughs> so. Come on, Harper. It's marked already. I've been told. 
that's a wonderful conversation. The series and you personally are such an inspiration, an inspiration for those that have invisible illness, but an inspiration, I think, for all of us to make sure we know what we don't know. We don't always know what's going on behind the scenes and in every human being. Uh, in their stresses, in their anxieties, in their joys, in uh, in the challenges they have. So thank you very much, Harper, for joining us. That was a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having me. To learn more about Harper and Made Visible, visit harperspiro.com, H-A-R-P-E-R-S-P-E-R-O.com. Uh, lots to learn there and all the different initiatives that she's doing. Voices of Resilience is produced by the marketing engineers at the shipyard in collaboration with the Ohio State University Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. To listen to our whole series, visit us at VoicesOfResiliencePodcast.com or on Spotify, Google, and Apple Play. Some know that we were recently named by Adweek as the best podcast in the nation launched during the pandemic. So many thanks to our award-winning team, Mike Long, Kate Masters, Coop Studios, and my favorite, Karen Millenthal. Thanks for joining us. That was awesome. I love that.